There ain't no grave can hold my body down There ain't no grave can hold my body down Well, meet me, Jesus, meet me Meet me in the middle of the air And if these wings don't fail me I will meet you anywhere Ain't no grave can hold my body down There ain't no grave can hold my body down This is the word of God, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 24. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I, have, when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gifts to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one, then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos. I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
All right, what's up, everybody? My name is Mark. I'm campus pastor of the Allen Park campus. Glad to be with you. What's up, everybody online? All right, so um, whether this is your first time here or let's say your thousandth time here, all the time we think that there's so many differences that we have, whether like you're a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ all your life or maybe you're on this fence about even whether this God exists and all this kind of stuff, we always think that we're very different, but we're a whole lot more alike than you would imagine. We really are, and just a couple of simple things. One, we all want to make a difference. We all want to make an impact with their life. Like nobody wants their, whatever the amount of years they get in this life to do nothing, to absolutely do nothing to impact anybody else. We all want to make some kind of impact. This shirt is, is, a, is a reminder, you're going to hear more about it later in the service, but there's an event called Go Serve, where you can go serve other people and make an impact in people's lives. So the goal is for all of us. We can't do everything, but all of us can do something. And so those teams that will be going out all over Southeast Michigan in November want you to sign up to be a part of that. But that's just one thing that we want to do to make an impact with our lives. Here's another thing, and this is what we're going to spend our time on today. We all want to be valued. Every single one of us wants to be valued. And this isn't an American thing. This is a worldwide human thing. We all want to be valued. Do you know one of the biggest ways that we feel valued is when we're supported? Like when someone supports me, you personally, when you know that you're supported, you know that you're valued. And when you feel valued, you live like you're valued. It's pretty important. There's two people in my life that I think about when I think about being valued. I have two parents and I know that they love me. They're divorced and I never went without, all right? So I'm not saying I had horrible parents or anything like that, but there's two other individuals that I know I am valued because of these two individuals. One was Paul Paul and one was Chuck. Now, for all the Yankees here, because I'm from the South, Paul Paul is just what we say for grandfather, okay? It's my grandfather on my mom's side, but that's Paul Paul, all right? And Paul Paul is the greatest man ever lived other than Jesus, in my opinion, but that's just me. That's him right there. That's us. I was in high school. That's, uh, if anybody watched Andy Griffith's show, there you go. There's Mount Pilot right there, all right? And the TV show. Um, all the young people are like, huh? <laughs> I never watched it. Anyways, doesn't matter. All right, so that's my grandfather's Paul Paul, and he would take me out of school at least once, sometimes up to three times a year. My mom valued education. She didn't like me skipping school, but Paul Paul would get me out at least one to three times a year to go play golf. And every summer he would take me to play golf with his buddies every week. He didn't have to, he wanted to. He would buy me a Hardee's biscuit in the morning. Didn't have to, he wanted to. And then we go play golf with all of these 60 and 70 year olds. And they called me the limber back because I could actually bend, you know? <laughs> That's, anyway, he didn't have to do any of that. Listen, he didn't just want to spend time with me and my parents and he's the babysitter. He would want me to come over. He would teach me how to, he taught me how to drive a tractor, how to garden, how to work around the house, things like that. He wanted to spend time with me. And then there was Chuck. I was a high school guy when I met Chuck. Chuck is the one to the left. <laughs> he beat me that day. It was a boxing match, and so my eye was swollen. I'm just kidding. I was a horrible picture. Anyways, that's the last time I wore a suit, I think, too, by the way. So. But anyways, that's Chuck, and I met him in high school. He was the youth leader, youth minister at the church that I was attending at that time, and he opened up his home to like a small group of high school guys, right? And he invited me to be a part of it. And I don't know, this may sound... Hard to believe for some of you, um, but I was a troublemaker when I was in high school. Man, I was a pest. I loved to make life for teachers somewhat difficult. Not like I was necessarily mean. I just thought I was hilarious, you know, the class clown. And so I would do all kinds of dumb things 
just because I thought it was funny, but the teacher would be really embarrassed and get really angry, and that was that. So no, Chuck was no exception. I love to torture his little dog. Not physically, okay, <laughs> uh, but it's like a little bitty dog, right? And we'd make that thing, Whitley, run up and down the stairs, up and down, until she would literally pass out. Like it was, we had so much fun in his house, and I would always try to ask the dumbest or most inappropriate questions in every single setting to see if he, I could get him to blush or get him mad or whatever. That was me. I, I don't know why, but he kept inviting me back. Like Chuck invested in me. He invited me to go on a missions trip with him. Chuck was the one who invited me to speak at the church for the very first time. He was also the one that I told some things that I did in high school, the worst things I've ever done at, you know, at that time in my life that I felt ashamed that I couldn't tell anyone else. Everybody needs a Chuck or a Paul Paul. I don't care where you come from, where you grew up, everybody needs people that value you and support you like that. And you know when you, in, when you value something, you know you invest in it, right? Your schedule begins to conform around it. Your thoughts, even your words, you're thinking about what you can say to them, how you could help them. Your finances, your budget changes because you wanna invest in that. Everything begins to change around what you value. And the people that you value feel it because you support them. We all need a Chuck or a Paul Paul. And every single one of us needs to be a Chuck or a Paul Paul to someone else. Here's what we're doing today. If this is your first time, I want you to know we value you. You may not know that yet, but we really do. We spend a lot of time, a lot of dollars, and a lot of volunteers to make this place as welcoming as possible. So I hope you give us a shot so that we can support you. After service, check out the guest reception to let us know that you were here. Maybe sign up for a team or a group because you never know where you're going to find your pawpaw or your chuck or the opportunity for you to be a chuck or a pawpaw to someone else. So join in. Check it out. The other thing that this letter, 1 Corinthians, don't you love the Johnny Cash theme song for this? Man, I love it anyways. But 1 Corinthians, we're ending this letter. We've been going through this letter for a long time, and this is the final chapter. And so he ends with something that I think is kind of interesting, unusual somewhat, uh, but remember, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul who met the resurrected Jesus Christ. And when he met the resurrected Jesus Christ, it changed everything for him. He was the guy that was persecuting Christians, going out, putting him in jail, and potentially worse. And then he meets Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and he changes. And he becomes the most important, possibly the most influential other than Jesus Christian in the history of the world. Why? Because Jesus, think about this, invested in him. He personally came to him and said, Paul... I value you, I'm supporting you, and now I'm going to send you out to be my messenger. And Paul did. And this church, these people in the Greek city of Corinth met Jesus because of Paul. Paul went to invest in them. He spent time with them in their homes, laughing with them, crying with them. He was persecuted with them. He invested his own dollars into them. He invested in them. So he's writing this letter not out of obligation, out of anger. He's writing this letter out of love. And he's ending this letter just like he began, like a father loving his kind of children. And so these Corinthians would have received this letter not from like out of spite or like, oh, who is this? They, they received it from someone that they knew valued them because he showed it to them by supporting them. It's pretty impressive. It's pretty important at least. And so Paul finishes this letter with this big idea, which is our big idea for today. The gospel values people and so should we. It's pretty simple. The gospel values people and so should we. And I don't want to take for granted that word, the gospel. Last week we talked about this, but the gospel, what's the gospel? The gospel is clearly that Jesus Christ is God in flesh. He lived a sinless life while he was on this earth. 
He died on a cross. He didn't deserve it, but he was murdered on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. He was dead. And on the third day, he rose from that tomb, not as a metaphysical manifestation, but as a physical bodily spirit slash body. He rose from the dead, and then he showed himself to over 500 people, giving us some proof. And all those, and then he went to be with God, his Father in heaven, and one day he's going to come back. That's the gospel. And all who place their faith in Jesus Christ confess that he is who he says he is and are baptized or forgiven of our sins. And we're at peace with God. That's the gospel. So the gospel values people. One of the greatest verses, right? The most famous verses of all time, at least in our culture, John 3.16. If you watch football today, you'll probably see it on a sign or something, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he values the world, he did what? He invested his greatest resource, himself, right? I mean, he invested in us so that we can invest in others. God invested in humankind. Jesus does the same, invested in those apostles. And the apostles go around investing in thousands of people, creating these little gatherings called churches. And so these churches are now supposed to do exactly what they experienced and to value what God values. People. It's people that's God. God is after people. Not buildings or services. People. Jesus sacrificed for people. So here's a simple question. Do you value people? And sometimes flippantly we would say, well, of course we value people, but do you value people? Do you value your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, your friends, your family? Do you value people that aren't like you? Do you value people? And as soon as you say I value people, we have to remember, wait a minute, can I value people when I don't invest or support or really think about or do anything? Is that what value means? Or would our definition of value be, well, I mean, I don't want anything bad to happen to people. I'm not going to be mean to people. Do we value people? Listen, God didn't have to, but for whatever reason, he valued me. He chose to value you. He didn't have to, but he did. So we should value others the way that we've been valued. And this is, Christians, we need to hear this, especially those in the room that are Christians and listening online. We of all people should value people. People. Not people who are just like us, people who say the same things as us. We should value people. Do we value do people know that we value them? Or is it they only think they're valued if they're in this building with us? Or if they agree with everything that you have to think? Do we value people? God valued us. Jesus valued the apostles. The apostles valued the church. The church is supposed to value others. And Paul then begins to tell us how to do this. And one of the first things that we have, at least as a resource, Paul talks about this, it's our money. It's our dollars. We have a powerful way to invest in others through financially. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Paul says every Christian should give. We believe the same because he said it. We should give. Does it say how much? He doesn't say how much right here, right? What he does say is this. On the first day of the week, Set aside a sum of money on the first day of the week. Seems to be he's setting a precedent. On the first day of the week, think about what's most important. If God is first importance in my life, then I set aside something first for him. So it's a priority thing. 
Jesus said it like this. He said, where your treasure is, there also, that's the indicative of where your heart is going to be. And come on, let's just, we all know this. We invest in what we value. We all do it. Whatever we value, we invest in it. So what do we value? Paul says, if you really value God first, then you set aside something first for God because he's of first importance. So the other question is this. If, if I give nothing or if I put nothing towards God and his work, then I at least have to ask the question, is he a priority? Then he says, in keeping with your income, which means in proportion, so in proportion to your income. Is that like the Old Testament tithe where it talks about the, t- the, the Old Testament law, give 10% of all your income? Not really. Technically, the Old Testament tithe actually was closer to 20 to 30%. But he's not talking about necessarily the percentage right here. He's talking about a, pr- a proportion of what you of what you give. And then he talks about this in the New Testament. All throughout the New Testament, the new word is generosity. We have a better covenant with Jesus, with better promises, and so God was generous with us, and so we're commanded to be generous. And then three words that Paul uses, like in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and all throughout the New Testament, three words that are used often to describe generosity is cheerfully, sacrificially, and regularly. Cheerfully, what is that? Well, we know what that is, right? When you click online or a check or cash or whatever, it's you smile. Cool, I get to do this. This is awesome. It's an investment. I'm glad we get to do this cheerfully. Sacrificially, if you're, a, if you're a student or a kid, you know it's going to look different because it might not be a lot, but it's a sacrifice to you. You feel it. Or if you make a considerable amount of money, it may be a larger amount because it's sacrificial to you, sacrificial to whoever you are. And then it's regular. That probably means more than every presidential election cycle or something, right? Regularly, something regularly in your life. Those are three words that describe generosity that show that I value something. So are we generous? You see, here in America, we are, you know, one of the wealthiest nations and we have the wealthiest Christians. And I know oftentimes we wouldn't put ourselves into that category. Well, I'm not wealthy. I mean, there's some wealthy people, but that's not me. But truthfully, we are wealthy. I mean, even when you consider people in our own country, we're wealthy. But when you really consider people in the world, we're, we're all wealthy. You see, we have this thing called disposable income. Like every time you, you know, drive down the street and down the river, you see thousands of restaurants, right? Or when you walk into a Walmart or a Sam's or whatever restaurant, I mean, a store, you realize this, you can begin to think about this because we can buy like decorations for Christmas and Halloween. Like that's not a necessity, right? That's just something we get to do. We have multiple outfits, multiple shoes, multiple things, right? We might have multiple cars, like it's disposable income and a lot of the world doesn't have it. And so we are very fortunate, we're very wealthy, but then American Christians tend to give between two to 3% and 25 to 50% according to research says that give nothing. So what's our value? What do we value? Let me ask you in another way. If Downriver Dan, let's just say that, you know, some random dad in Downriver he has a family of kids and you don't know them. If he were to see how much you invest in his family through the local church to reach out to their family, would he be amazed at the value that you place in his family? Or would he roll his eyes and say, yep, that's what I thought. I'll talk. Like, do we value people? Because I don't know them and I can't reach them, but maybe collectively we can. Isn't that the work of the church, the mission to go win downriver to Christ? Collectively, we go after all the 360,000 people in downriver. Are we thinking about them? Do we value them? And when you start asking questions like that, it makes you think, doesn't it? 
What legacy did God leave? God so loved that he invested in us. Jesus so loved, he invested in the apostles. The apostles so loved, they invested in the church. The church should love so much that we invest in what matters most, people. And not me, I know I'm a people too, but I shouldn't just invest in me, I should invest in you and others because they matter, they're valued by God, so we value them. My wife and I tithe, tithe and then some because we wanna, that's where it's like a benchmark, that's where maybe it's a good place to start. But maybe for you, think of some practical steps. How can you begin to be generous, sacrificial, cheerful, and regular? How can you begin to value what matters most, which is our big idea, the gospel values people, so should we. We should value people, and that's one of the ways we can, but it's not the only way that we can. You know, if the gospel is the most important message, then the most important job is to spread that gospel, right? And so it does take finances to spread the gospel. Paul and all the apostles used the givings uh, to go start churches and go all over the place to spread the gospel. But finances aren't the only resource. There's also other resources. One of them is us. And Paul begins to talk about this in verse 8 and 9. He says, but I will stay on at Ephesus. And this possibly become like a life verse to many of us. This is it's interesting. Because a great door of effective work has opened up to me. And there are many who oppose me. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, doesn't that not make sense? <laughs> a great door of effective work has opened up to me, and many oppose me. <laughs> Wait a minute. If they oppose you, how is that a great door of effective work? Think about that. Let's make it practical. What about us? The gospel offends people sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, the gospel offended. Don't, don't talk about those people over there. The gospel offended you at some point in your life. Jesus offended me and all of us at some point in our life because Jesus says, hey, I want you to live like this, and I wasn't living like this. Jesus says, I want you to stop living like that, and I was living like that. Jesus offends us. The gospel offends all of us until we said yes to Jesus, and then the gospel gives life. And so the, the message, the, the job, the gospel is to go into hostile environments where people will be offended, people that either don't know it or are opposed to Jesus Christ. So when the gospel goes into, it is effective because it's going to a place that's needed. Think about this. When you said yes to Jesus, maybe, your life, like it changed you, like maybe your life looked very different, started to look different, and that began to offend some people. Maybe the guys at the bar that you always hung out with because now you're not spending all night and 100 bucks getting drunk with them. Or maybe the girls because you're not going out chasing guys all night long and talking to the same gossip you used to. Or maybe your friends at school because you're not going to the same parties, doing the same things. Or maybe you're not lying, cheating, and stealing or whatever you used to be doing with them. Maybe it's your boyfriend or your fiance or your girlfriend because you say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes to Jesus and I'm not going to have sex again until we're married. Right? The gospel begins to offend other people. Not that I'm trying to be offensive, but when the gospel comes into my life, it begins to offend and so what if, see, isn't that moment when people get offended, isn't that the moment sometimes we, we back away from the effective work because we think it's not effective? All people are saying no, so, but listen, your obedience is one of your resources. Your obedience, you, like you are a resource. Didn't God call you to go to your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates and your friends and your family? He called me, right? He called all of us to go, and when we say no, we disobey. And why do we disobey often? Why do you say no? Because they oppose you. 
They didn't like it. They were offended. Or because you were afraid they might be offended. Because someone else was offended. And we say no. And we close the effective opportunity that we had. Paul says, what if instead of seeing those as not effective, instead of when people get offended or when people get pressure, your family doesn't change and doesn't agree with you and the decisions that you make in your life, your friends don't agree with you, instead of giving in and caving in or just becoming silent, what if you saw that as an open door, an effective ministry? And we stood strong, kept the faith in those moments. That's what Paul is saying. See, you are a resource. People are a resource because we can say yes. What if, what, if, what if Paul and the rest of the apostles said no? When you think about it, what if they said no? Aren't we thankful they didn't? They said yes. We should value people because we should develop people. People are a great resource to reach other people. Do you want to be developed? I mean, do you want to grow so that you can actually reach other people? Or are we just comfortable? I'm, I'm okay with where I'm at. Paul says we are a resource. We should honor them. We should honor leaders and people like this. And, and the ministry is beginning to increase, and Paul knows this. And so he goes on in verse 10 and 11, he says, See to it that it, he, he's talking about Timothy, has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. The ministry is growing. Lots of churches, lots of ministry opportunities, lots of effective doors are opening, and Paul can't do everything. So he's developing people. Timothy is one of them. He shared the gospel with Timothy. Timmy, Timothy grows up, and he's learning this gospel, and he's become a serious. Now he's a, he's a worker alongside of Paul. Paul talks about Apollos, another solid, rock-solid guy who was developed and said yes to Jesus, and now he's joining the work. He talks about uh, Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus later, right? All of these names of people who said yes to Jesus, but then grew in their faith and joined Paul in the work. So a couple things, Paul is saying we should value that. That's what it should look like because if we value people, I'm gonna become a person that begins to go after people. But then also, sometimes he, he recognizes this in all of us. Don't sometimes we get connected to a certain person? Well, that's not Brett. <laughs> that's not Ken. That's not enter whatever name you want to enter in there, right? And Paul's, hey guys, listen, I know his name is not Paul, but trust me, he's doing the same thing I'm doing. We're doing the same work in Jesus. So support them, honor them, follow them, respect them. Listen, I'm not saying every single leader in every single church in the world should deserve respect or following. I get that that's not true. However, if they have good character and if they work hard and if they're good doctrine, then we should, we should respect and honor and serve. Not make their work more difficult by comparing and criticizing, but joining, supporting, and be like, serving with. That's what Paul is saying. Because the mission, the mission is we value people. So of course, it's gonna take a lot of people to do this. It's not about one person, it's about all of us doing our part to value people and go after them so they can hear the gospel and they can grow up in their faith and help other people learn about Jesus as well. This is our big idea once again. The gospel values people, so should we. We value people. We should develop people. And you should aspire to be developed, like to not just stay stagnant where you are, but to grow so that you could be used to reach other people for Christ. You know, Brett and Penny came in 1992 to start this church. They didn't have to, but they did. And it's grown. There's probably over 2,000 people that might call this church their home. Now, they attend every weekend, but they just they call this their home. 
It's a lot. It's like a mini city, even a thousand or fifteen hundred. It's a mini city, right? There's no way one person can be the shepherd for that many people, and there's no way one person can reach three hundred and sixty thousand people in Downriver to Christ, right? There's no way one person can have all the resources and finances necessary for that that mission either. It takes a whole city of people all working in the same mission, all valuing the same things. That's what Paul's talking about. And then he gives us how to do that, at least the beginning of it. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. If you become a Christian, don't retreat. Don't stop loving Jesus. Stay on guard because the enemy is always prowling to take us down. You have to stay faithful. Never take a season off. In other words, maybe you're in middle school and high school and you're like, oh, I'll take my faith seriously and all of Jesus once I'm older. Right now, I just want to get through school. I just want to get picked on. Or maybe you're in college, like, well, once I get a career or once I get a family, I'll think about that. Right now, I've got to study. Right now, I've got other more important things. Or maybe you have a young family with young children. Like, once they grow up and we have more time and I can get some sleep, you know, then we'll, we'll think about that. We'll focus more on that. Or I've got a career, and once I get my career started, once I get, you know, once I become successful, once I've got my family taken care of, then we'll, we'll think about that, right? And the list goes on and on and on because we say, well, I'm okay right now. I'm fine right now. So I'm just going to take this season off. But you see, when you take a season off, when you sit, you're stagnating. And when you're stagnating, it's the same as you're asleep at the wheel. And when you're asleep at the wheel, you know what happens? You crash and you get hurt and you harm others around you. Don't take a season off. We have to stand firm, be courageous. So that means maybe today or tomorrow you go to your friends and say, listen, I don't know why I haven't told you before, but I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. And if you ever want to know more about him, ask me. Maybe you need to go to your boss tomorrow or your employees and say, listen, I'm sorry. I've encouraged you to lie and cheat no more. I'm not going to lie or cheat anymore. Or maybe you should go to your fiance, your boyfriend and girlfriend and say, listen, I'm sorry, but I'm just gonna, I got to say yes to Jesus. And we're just not going to sleep together anymore, right? Like we don't take seasons off. We stand firm and we're courageous, but not out of spite or meanness. He says, the ESV version, it says that, that be brave. He says, act like a man, which I kind of like that, but act like a man. Like my, I can remember Paul Paul saying things like that. Be a, be a man, son. Anyways, but he would act like a man. And, and sometimes some of us think like men that you grew up with are jerks, thugs, bullies, right? You don't want to be like them. They're mean. We well, are right. Don't be like them. You need to be stronger than them so that you can stand up to people like that. But also when temptation comes in your life, you can stand up to it because you may have a family one day that's going to rely on you. You need to stand firm when that temptation comes. You need to stand firm when that woman or that man tries to message you or whatever and you just cut it off, right? You need to stand firm when your classmates or friends come up to you and try to get you into something. You have to stand firm and be courageous, but not mean, gentlemanly, not rude, not violent, not angry men, but gentlemen. Men, young men, watching online or here in person, man, that's the standard that you need to set. That's who you need to aspire to be like, like Jesus. You see, he was all of the above, plus love ties all things together. That's why Paul says, do everything in love. Is that the kind of man that you're aspiring to be? Women, young women especially, watching online or here in person, like go after that kind of man. I get it. Maybe it's hard to find, but wait. Go after that kind of man. Honor that kind of person. Let's together set the standard for men to be like Jesus. That's what Downriver needs. That's what our families need. That's what we need. We need Jesus to be the standard, to become like him, because we value people. We value people. We like him, which is, again, our big idea. The gospel values people. So should we. 
His last example is of that marriage, Aquila and Priscilla. Just a godly marriage. And notice he doesn't point out like they have all the coolest stuff. And what he points out is that they did effective work in ministry. Aquila and Priscilla gave their life to Christ and then they actually sold their business and they would plant, they, they move, take their family, everything, and then help start churches. Like they joined the ministry. It wasn't about how much they have. It was about the, the heart and the ministry, the heart for ministry that they had. See, when two people come together, they say, I want to spend the rest of our life together. It's the greatest thing they can do because they value people. They work together for the ministry. Because if the resurrection is real, that's all that matters. If the resurrection is real, people matter. Do you value them? And no one knows they're valued unless you show them support. Financially, with your time, with your words, with your service. This week, you have great opportunity, actually. Our culture is going to send hundreds and hundreds of kids possibly to your home. And you won't have to go anywhere. It's called Halloween, right? I'm not making a statement for or against Halloween. I'm just saying the obvious. This week, culture is going to send you 100 kids possibly to your home. So maybe we could take advantage of it and full-size your experience. Give out the best candy. Give out, the best, like, in, uh, give out the best candy, have some kind of cool moment. Try to have a 30-second conversation with people so you can pass out this invitation. Make sure every kid gets an invitation to the turkey bowl. What's up? Look at that. A, a month-long uh, challenge for kids. They're going to have games. and I mean, It's going to be an awesome month. Invite them to that. Make sure they have that. I, we're going to do an Avengers obstacle training course at my house. It's, it's going to be awesome, I think. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a blast. We're gonna have, uh, Brett's going to be giving out hot dogs. I've heard people are going to do hot apple, apple cider so parents can have some kids. A little fireplace or a pit right out in your front you know, driveway so people can just stop, warm up for 30 seconds, have a conversation, show them that you value them, and give them invitation. Even their parents, right? Because there's a series. Our next series is called Legacy, and it's a great opportunity for them to come. Here's a teaser. What are you about? What will you be known for when you leave this earth? In the climb of life, you probably want to be remembered for something great. You probably want to leave your kids, friends and family better than you found them. And you probably have great intentions, but are still looking for answers. But every generation needs a bigger story. So what legacy are you leaving? You do not have to have a British accent to come, just so you know. And you don't have to invite people in a British accent. It's just there, okay? So this week, it's a great opportunity. Paul ends this letter. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. When you say amen, you know it's done, right? This is last. I can hear Paul, Paul, and Chuck in that. For real, I can. You know why? Because Paul, Paul, and Chuck would say things that I didn't want to hear. I didn't like. But I knew that they valued me, so I listened. Paul loved them. They knew it. Because he valued them. He supported them. Everybody needs a Paul, a Chuck, or a Paul, Paul. And every single one of us should be a Paul, a Chuck, or a Paul Paul for other people. We won't be unless we value people. Proximity doesn't equal priority. Just because you're around people doesn't mean you value them. Just because I help them doesn't mean I value them. Paul demonstrated that the church should demonstrate more than others that we value people. I know some of you maybe here are hearing this challenge pretty clear. Watching online, like will you value people like that?
We need godly men and women who will study the Bible and be serious about it so they can be great small group leaders or ministers. We need people who will disciple other people. We need men and women who will take time out of their busy schedules and say, I'm going to pour into the next generation of our kids and students and volunteer to be those Chucks and Paul Pauls for the next generation. We need men and women who will choose obedience above all else to Jesus Christ so that you can win people to Christ. We need men and women who will say, I choose generosity to invest in what matters most, people, other people. So where are you today? What next step do you want to take? You've got classmates, you've got friends, neighbors, bosses, employees that you can invest in, value. Maybe start by, I'm gonna volunteer, I'm gonna serve, or I'm gonna start being generous. Wherever you need to start, you gotta start somewhere. Because you won't invest in people unless you make a plan, unless you say yes. And God's already demonstrated that he values you. If that's you today, listening online or here in person, that's the first time you've ever really heard that you're valued that much, I want you to know, yeah, he, he loves you, he values you. And today you could say yes to Jesus. You could say, listen, I, I want to learn about this Jesus guy because I want to follow someone like that. We're going to have people up front during this song. At the end of the service, they'll be waiting for you. And you could say yes. I believe Jesus is who he says he is, or at least I want to know that. You can even be baptized today for the forgiveness of your sins. Peace with God. Here's the goal. Every single one of us to leave this place knowing that you're valued, like God values you, and then choosing to value people like you were valued. Would you stand?